Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener, and here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Hey, Colton Classic Podcast fiends and friends. Host Nate Wyckoff here to let you know that we are giving you a special New Year's treat today. Instead of a mini-sode, you were getting a full-fledged episode that we did not run but recorded earlier this year. We want you to start the new year off right, so here is a special feature-length Colton Classic Podcast episode starring me, yours truly, Nate Wyckoff, and Tad Mastroianni. Enjoy. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Hello, friends and fiends of the pod, to another episode of Colton Classic Podcast. With you, as always, is your host, me, Nate Wyckoff, writer, film critic, and stand-up comedian. Although these days in quarantine, stand-up comedians don't do a whole lot. My wife is real tired of my jokes. Uh, with me today, we have a nice intimate episode, is Tad Mastroianni. How you doing, Tad? Uh, get that crap out of here. Oh, yes. It is, it is going to be a wild and loose episode today. It is the two of us, and it's two tackling two films of three. Uh, don't know what that means. Totally understandable. We've got two Halloween horrorthologies for you. These are two films that are made up of three, they say intertwined, but they're not intertwined uh, stories. They're just three movies or two movies with three stories each. We have the 2006 film Snoop Dogg's Hood of Horror. And then we have the 1975 famed TV movie Trilogy of Terror with Karen Black. I'm excited to talk about these movies. Uh, they... I mean, are similar probably only in that they're horror themed and anthologies, um, but there's, and they're radically different. And I think that's going to make for some great discussion. So first, Snoop Dogg's Hood of Horror. I had never seen this movie. Um, Tad, had you ever seen this movie? No, I didn't even know it existed. So it, it did, I knew it existed. Um, I believe there's even a, a sequel of some kind. I don't think, uh, actually it's, it's probably, it's a take on the Tales from the Hood series, uh, really. Uh, although unofficial, but it's think the Crypt Keeper uh, from Tales from the Crypt, the television series. But instead of the Crypt Keeper, you've put in Snoop Dogg as like an undead ex gangster who you know sends people to hell effectively. Uh, and instead of you know in, in Tales from the Crypt, the Crypt Keeper doesn't he's not in the story. He's telling you the story like he's usually at a book or something and he's telling you the stories that are playing out on screen. Um, so you just get that frame in the beginning and the framing story at the end where he makes some jokes about it. This one is weird because Snoop Dogg is occasionally like in parts of the story like 
he's actually a character in there narrating it to you but as it's happening it's this weird like framing story that has its own meta fiction it doesn't always work for me um but what are you gonna do and snoop dogg tells three stories the first one uh it's called crossed out is about a, a young girl who she gets the power by an awesomely bizarre hoodoo uh danny trejo cameo she gets tattooed on her right arm the skeleton hand and it gives her the power to cause the death by accident of anyone who she sprays their tag out uh with a, with an x so she goes around getting revenge on some some nasty hoodlums that she runs afoul of and uh and then at the end of that arc right she's basically seems to just kill indiscriminately i guess i guess that's the it's it's sort of unclear it's not as unclear as say uh the last anthology film that we talked about veronica uh, uh if you haven't if you've not listened to that episode and you are even remotely interested in hearing about uh drawn on french mustaches listen to that episode uh veronica and and the and vicious lips by albert pion but that's the combo for that one but this one uh, the second one is actually, I think, the strongest of the three. We'll get to them individually, but the second one is a really awful, racist, spoiled brat of a kid uh, is forced to uh, take his arm candy and live with ex-Vietnam vets uh, who all happen to be Black, including the amazing Ernie Hudson. And he has to stay with them for a year, otherwise his dad's inheritance will not go to him. And his plan is to make them all get out of the place so he can just take the inheritance and flip the property. Um, it doesn't go that well for him. And uh, it, it, Snoop Dogg's in that one too. Uh, as his character <laughs> goes up and at the end, he shoots the dog, a little chihuahua that explodes bizarrely. Um, and that chihuahua, don't worry folks, uh, that is Cricket the chihuahua. I don't know if Cricket's still alive, but Cricket was an actress. Uh, hopefully still is an actress. She was in many films of her own. Uh, and then the third one is sort of a, a, ri a rise and fall. It's basically Kanye West's uh, weekend. It's like this, this hip hop star meets a friend, rises to fame. You find out he backstabbed his friend and, and now they're, they're taking him to the afterlife. Uh, so these movies, on paper, they sound really typical and traditional in a way they are but this film is weird right like it opens with and occasionally has animated segments throughout like sort of a the boondocks kind of madhouse studio but like on a budget um like very few frames but it starts with this animated story that has very little dialogue um like maybe three lines and it's i guess snoop dogg's character when he was alive accidentally shooting his kid's sister when he's trying to kill a guy and then going and killing this guy in revenge. And then the guy turns out to be a demon of some kind who says, I can, I'm going to give you power to bring back your sister, but you got to do this job for me. And that job is apparently bringing people to hell. He says he's a gatekeeper. It doesn't really make sense though, right? Did, did so, you understand that? Nathan, this is just Dog's version of Ghost Rider. That's all this is. Oh, kinda. You're right. Snoop Dogg is the spirit of vengeance, and let's face it, Snoop Dogg's ego does not allow him to be a bystander in the story. He's got to have some direct involvement. <laughs> well, let's let's listen to this. This is in the beginning, after that little first little animated segment. 
um, when he turns to flesh and blood and starts addressing us the camera. Um, he's got two women by his side um, who are uh, working actresses in their own right. Um, they're, they're credited as uh, slank. They're both just slank. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that means. Is um, that like? Is that like a urbanized version of slag, like the British uh, term like a for slag a and skank? I don't know. I'm, I, I, I like I, that. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna urban dictionary that. But you guys very, can agree. It's very international. <laughs> yeah, you guys. You guys. It's it's uh, Irene Veron Veronina. I is, I think is how you say her name. Uh, plays the the white creature next to him who is like a vampire. And I was like, she has vampire teeth? She has vampire teeth. She bites a guy's neck at one point in the background. And then we have Tanisha Jones, um, who is the other slank, who is just kind of looks beautiful and spooky with with uh, blue, like ice blue contacts in. Um, I, I, the reason I mentioned them particularly is because uh, Arena Voronina, she like chews the scenery like hardcore I mean, she literally is just like writhes and has her mouth open and grimaces like the whole time it's actually distracting uh i found it i found it i found it actually taking me away from what little realism snoop dogg was bringing to the table <laughs> um it was it was a bit much um but you know it is what it is and it kind of set the tone that whole intro and let's listen to it right here this this him addressing us as the audience. Are y'all ready for some crazy shit? Like the hood has snitches, dope fiends, and bitches. The hood of horrors is haunted with freaks, demons, and devils. Freaks I know come in all shapes and sizes. Like my main man, Charlie. We call him Half Pint. Now, why you always trying to get on my bad side, man? I'm trying to tell the homies some stories, and here you go fucking up my flow. God damn. One nasty little dude right here. This place is covered with a whole bunch of them. And most of them are hoping for redemption, but they don't get it unless they listen to my stories. Cause I am the gatekeeper to the after party. Where's my legless homeboy Footloose at? Man, you know how much them sneakers cost my mama? She gonna kill me, man. And the big joke on that point is that, uh, is that the guy talking is referring to his severed legs, which are still in the tennis shoes that are tied at the laces and thrown over the uh, power line above them. So it's funny because I distinctly uh, expected some of these characters to actually have a weight on anything in the plot and they really didn't. No, no. He just kind of, there's a, there's a few characters in this, in this part where he's going through this alleyway with a bunch of people where he says, these are the people, you know, that, that are trying to get saved. And then uh, at the end, there's a similar thing. And they don't, they don't have a backstory that we see. We just see three people or, or three, you know, three tales that have some, some victims that we see in, in the final credit or pre-credit sequence, which we'll get to. It's a music video. Um, <laughs> and this, and you'll hear, he talks, he talks a, a half pint, which is played by Gabriel Pimentel, a little person. He's, been in a lot of films as a little person. He played this, this is my favorite, is he plays the dancing Yosemite Sam in the, the Brendan Fraser Looney Tunes back in action movie, which if no one's probably seen it, uh, but it is probably the closest thing we'll ever get to another Space Jam. So go watch it. But the fact that he plays 
Yosemite Sam is just a strange thing. He's no stranger to horror. He also, uh, he played Amon in, in Rob Zombie's Lords of Salem in 2012. Um, so, but it's irrelevant because he really doesn't have a role. He just vomits, 3D vomit a couple of times. Like in know? everything, whatever. Yeah, it, it, for no, no particular reason. <laughs> um, I, I'm not sure. So this first, I kind of, so let's talk about the director. So the director for this film um, is, uh, is Stacey Title. I don't know if that's her real name or not, but she is a, a current director. She directed um, the, the Bye Bye Man um, in, in 2017, I believe that was. And, uh, you know, that, that was not a, not a great, in my opinion, not a great horror film, but it also wasn't horrendous. It was nice to see Doug Jones as the Bye Bye Man. Uh, but, you know, it was a solid um, mainstream teen scare film. Like it was meant to be PG-13, it was meant to be for the teens so they could have a spooky movie. And I think it did that fine. Um, so I think she's a capable commercial director. This movie is though really sort of hacked together. Like I don't think it's particularly noticeable because there's a lot of stuff going on. And, but there's so many weird elements. Like there's, you've got that opening scene in the animation. You've got this intro scene to the live action Snoop Dogg who is walking through a really close alleyway. And then this first story, it's clearly just like the lowest budget of all of it. Well, not the lowest budget, but it's one of the, the first story and the last story are clearly low budget, right? They take place in like two or three locations. Um, the, the shots are all really narrow hallways or really narrow, al or really narrow alleyways, uh, having a stroke here. And I don't know, I found this first one kind of underwhelming because the, the great part is Danny Trejo. So um, the character who's played by Posey, she's a female tagger. She has this horrid backstory right? Where like her, her father has shot her mother and then like writes RIP on her forehead in her own blood and then looks at his young daughter and says uh, something, what does he say? Like life's not fair or something? I can't remember. All I remember something is like that, that I was like, oh, okay, you're taking the easy way out and shooting yourself too. Yeah. And then he shoots himself. And like, and so she's uh, uh, like this unhappy person, understandably, um, Posey's played by Daniela Alonzo, who is still acting actually more than she was then. Um, and I think she does well. She kind of sets it up to be like, oh, I'm going to be, um, she's actually set up to be ghostwriter, right? Because she has the power to cause the death of people that she exits out their name. It's like a pre-death note, death note. I was going to say, this is very death notey. It's like, oh, yeah. is this? Yeah. yeah. And yeah, actually, I... and I don't, it, it's pre-popular death note. Death note very possibly could have originated previously, but it hadn't gotten popular in the US at this time. And, uh, and I guess, so she runs afoul of these uh, three wannabe gangster kids, uh, go by Fat Cap Strico and Nib, uh, Noel Guglielmi, uh, Teo Johnson, and Jeffrey uh, Lycan, probably. I don't know how to say his last name, but um, they did fine in their roles. You don't like them. They're exactly what you'd expect from guys playing three gangsters in, uh, in one of these movies, uh, any movie really, uh, and to say that they're all appear Hispanic. And uh, you kind of root for her when they die, right? Like the first one is great. The first one, she X's out Fat Cap's tag on the wall. And for those of you who are super squares uh, and haven't been around since, you know, like 
the 1950s. Tag is a marking, a name that they that you write on the wall uh, to sh mark your territory, at least in the gangland. That's what it was. Uh, she scratches it out, and then it's at the same time that he's like beating up and trying to assault a hooker that tried to steal his money. And as he's trying to undo his pants, he blows his penis off with the gun that's in his belt and bleeds out on the floor. And like, I that you totally cheer. Am I wrong? Like, you're like, yeah, no, like, no you do. You're just waiting for the next one, you know? And then the next one, this was weird because the next one. He's like shot a clerk, right? And he's robbed them. And he's actually kind of protecting the little the little kid, Nib. He's like, no. Nib's like, why didn't you call me? Like, I could have looked out for you. And he's like, because you don't, this isn't for you. I don't want you to be in this stuff. And he gives him money. And then the cops start to, you know, their sirens a little sound. And they're like, we got to go. Nib runs off. And then Strico, he, she's crossed his name out. And so he's got like a Mad Dog 4040 or something in his hand and as he runs he trips and we don't see it at that time right but he falls face first on the bottle and presumably dies the weird part is that that's a pretty good effect and we don't see it until the very end during snoop dogg's like wrap-up music video and they're flashing back this is a constant theme throughout the entire movie where i don't know if the cut that you got for us was like the the I don't know the censor. This is the official. This is the official uh, release, full release. So, so, so there's no unrated version of this because the cuts are so jarring. Like they, yeah, they, they are. are just about to show you some gore, and then they cut it, and then they go back to the gore. We'll discuss. Yeah, the it's weird like part of that in the second story. It's almost like you feel the the gore. It's as though they weren't going to do the gore, like they didn't have budget. But then later on, you see it, and you're like, oh, they did do it, like fully. They, um, yeah. And it's sort of mind blowing. And I, I don't know, I don't know if Stacey Title is uh, to kind of blame for this confusion or some of the producers, uh, who knows, could even be Snoop Dogg himself um, or if it's the editors, but it is very oddly cut. Like films where even people who are not movie people, if when they watch this, they would be disoriented for a minute and be like, some, they'd know something was wrong, even if they couldn't yeah. put their finger on it. Um, and the production itself is slick enough, even though it has the tellings of some low budget moments that I, I found it entertaining. Um, but I was kind of surprised that the first segment was so weak. Um, because at the end, because the, the, as I said, the greatest part, she, before she kills these people, she is like grabbed and I don't know if she, how he makes her fall asleep, I forget. Does she fall and hit her head or does he hit her? Danny Trejo's character is uh, a vagrant who's clearly like, he's actually Snoop Dogg's character, right? And he's granting her the power to kill people with this hand. Um, and then after she kills these, these ruffians, you see her spray painting out some other names. And then he's like, tell, and then he comes back, Danny Trejo's character and says, you, you were given this power and you wasted, instead of creating art, you've killed. And I'm like, wait, was that an option? I didn't even know. And so I don't know, I think we're supposed to like see that she's become what she despised, but we don't see that because the other people she sprays the name out of, I just assumed that they were jerks too. And, but we don't know them. We didn't even see them. So that that was, she that gets was. like turned into like a bloody mural and like 
the people, the church people she was staying with are like, she's gone because she's gone off to do other things elsewhere, but she left us this beautiful portrait before she left. And then, and then after the closing, like they sing a song for her and then Snoop Dogg's character, like Danny Trejo's character becomes Snoop Dogg and Snoop Dogg walks up to the mural. No one's there anymore. And he pulls out an eye that's in the paint. And then he turns into a cartoon, an animated feature, and he bites the eye. I'm like, I don't understand. I don't understand this arc at all. Like, I didn't, I think, I feel like they missed a key component. Like, we don't know where she went wrong. It just seems like she's getting punished now for no reason. It's, it's a great message without the, there was a kind of a piece massively missing. Like, I got it as soon as, as soon as it was like, you were given this power and, I think it was for, sort of the idea of you weren't supposed to use it to actually kill people. It's like, yeah, but what else was it for? You, you... And she didn't even, and, and she didn't even know that she would kill people. She sprayed, she X out the guy's name because he X'd out hers, her tag underneath it. And like, and then she found out he died and then she does use it, I guess. But I mean, like, what do you, she, she has a skeleton tattooed on her hand and this guy abducted her and gave her a power. Like, what did you think it was? Like, was she supposed to paint the flowers that they were expecting on the side of the mirror with the demon hand? I didn't get it. <laughs> like, it just- I love how no one knows that was a really chunky fucking mural too. It was, I know, I'm like, I'm like so there's been an eye stuck in that the whole time and everyone's like, it's so beautiful. I'm like, it looks like blood splatter with some 70s flowers behind it. Like, <laughs> it didn't, that didn't fly for me. Um, but this is a short segment. It was not one of the longer ones. It didn't, uh, so I don't feel, I didn't feel like it dragged really. Um, in fact, I feel like it needed a little more explanation. Um, this, also, was, uh, this was uh, like in Veronica, where it's like uh, that second that second segment, where it's like, this would be really a good story. Yeah. Like 10 minutes doing a little more writing. Yes, yes, very much so. And I thought of Veronica a lot when I saw this. Uh, I, don't say, me too. I, I need to say this, though. This movie's better than Veronica. It is way better it than Veronica. It is infinitely better. It is infinitely better. This is a film. Like it also has some amazing actors in it and some fantastic cameos and um, it is super entertaining. So I actually, we'll get to the recommendations, but this is not to say that normal people who like horror films would not enjoy this. I'm just saying that this first segment was a little uh, empty. Um, and also we see him eat that eye in the, in the cartoon. And then in between the different segments, he's like, Snoop Dogg's character is like, dragging the animated versions of the people who from the other segments through it so Posey's character is she's got a spray can and she's missing both her eyes I guess there's just it's like a theme that was not explored like I don't know why she doesn't have her eyes she couldn't see it they never talk about that um the second segment this is the good one this one is this one is so much head and shoulders above the others to me that it's like this should have just been the movie um god yes but but so first off ernie hudson is in it ernie yep. hudson's amazing and it's not just ernie hudson it's like um a, a really great lineup richard grant is in there tucker smallwood l kenneth richardson um we have chuck hicks as the uh the jerky son's deceased now deceased father um and uh we have jonathan so the story is that um, I believe it's Jonathan Penner uh, who plays um, the, the, the Texan's son. So basically this character is the one that he, he goes with his 
you know, plastic arm candy and her dog to talk to the, um, to, to get the will read. And the, apparently the dead father's had a lot of money, but he wants him, he's like, you have to learn honor. So you're gonna go stay with my old uh, platoon. And apparently this guy led the platoon, a platoon of uh, black men, and they all worshiped him because he always made sure they were safe and he always took care of them. In fact, they're all together living, um, old, older gentlemen now, in this guy's property. So he was their landlord um, and they essentially had a, a you know, walk-in nurse who did their cooking and stuff like that. Um, and it was all sort of paid for by their pension and him. So they really loved this guy. So when the son shows up and him and his girlfriend to stay there, their first thing is like, wow, this is amazing. And then he instantly shows himself to be a horrible asshat. Like he is, he is by far the worst person in this whole film. Um, and he eats it up. I mean, he plays, Jonathan Penner plays this character to the full. Um, I don't think, like he does, and it, to his credit, because this is one of those roles where it would be uncomfortable to play such a racist, monstrous, uh, eventual murderer. Because we find out that he actually killed his father when driving drunk by driving and hitting him with his, uh, I don't know if it's actually a Cadillac, but it looks like a Cadillac with- it Looks like a Cadillac, yeah. With bullhorns on the front. Yep. Um, which he then has the has bullhorns sent to the residence <laughs> because he wants to class up the house. Um, so he moves in, he does all sorts of terrible things. He starts saying they owe him back rent uh, and, um, and they can work it off because obviously they don't have any money by uh, tearing down the dividers upstairs, which are all their rooms, uh, sleeping downstairs together and letting that whole upper floor be um, this character's like little, pardon the French, little fuck nest. It's disgusting um, and super, super uh, not classy. Though, so you hate him already. Like he's, he's already clearly racist. He's a disgusting person. And then it gets way worse because the awesome nurse played by Sydney Tamia Poitier um, is, uh, who by the way is Sydney Poitier's daughter. Um, she plays uh, the nurse and she is, he tries to get her to do a three-way. And then when she says she's gonna go to the VA and whoever else, fair housing, to get him to you know, stop being such a douchebag, uh, him and his wife murder her. And uh, at that point, the men, the, the other men in the house don't know the situation until Ernie Hudson comes upon her frozen body in a freezer that's locked, that's full of caviar for the Chihuahua right? They're starving. And it's just, it's almost like, I, this is one of those moments where as a white person, I felt so disgusted <laughs> because I'm like, it's that white guilt working up. And it does. And it totally is accurate. Like this guy is terrible. It, this, this short segment, it talks about like gentrification, all these things, but to an extreme, like it's so, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's satire because it's really sort of the, you know, it's an old, EC Comics Tales from the Cryptile Tale, right? Like this guy's such a douchebag, he does something so horrible that they all get their comeuppance for it. But it was really bleak, right? Like they kill the nurse who you love. And then one of their, one of their uh, platoon mates dies because he's been getting poor nutrition and, and hasn't been allowed to go to the doctor. And at that point, that's when Ernie Hudson and the, the, his two remaining fellows uh, beat up the guy and that's when shit gets real disturbing right i don't know what you thought Tess. so they beat him up they they waterboard him under the sink 
And then they, uh, they bring him upstairs and they say, you can walk out of this room alive or your girlfriend can walk out of this room alive. You choose. And she's been force fed all the caviar with like a reverse wet vac. And so her stomach is hugely distended on the bed and the chihuahua's in a carrier and hasn't been fed. What was your take on that scene, Tad? Because I was, I was actually shocked when I saw the setup for it. It was, I mean, am I really shocked by anything at this point? <laughs> um, but it was, I was surprisingly neutral about it, largely just because I'm like, of course, this is classic Tales from the Crypt. And th- remember, yes. I had, I, I, w- I was talking about this the last podcast where I'm kind of turned off by media that sort of punishes the innocent for no actual reason but the narrative. This is one of those movies where it's kind of the opposite. Hardly any innocent people die. Unfortunately, one of the veterans does die out of neglect. And, and the nurse. Yeah. And it's a, but it's a motivation for the plot. Yes. It's not just right. it's too bad you were just... Actually, it's funny because collateral damage does come up in... in um, because uh, I, I just finished Scream Queens again, and the, the mm-hmm. term collateral damage does come up. But again, I'm, I'm not a big fan of media that uses the term collateral damage just to, just, just because to, for shock value. It has to do well, something. And this, a, yeah, and it's such it a, even then there's a, it does for sure. And it, it sets up, you, you're, they're, they're intentional, their intention with this was clearly to say, this is so gruesome. It's, it's, sort of disturbingly poetic, right? Like they're feeding caviar to the dog and now she's going to feed the dog with her dis- distended body. And um, they show it. Uh, they don't show all of it because again, they save some of the most gruesome best effects for that weird music video at the end. Um, but he's like, uh, they're like, so which one is it? You or her? And he's like, uh, you kind of let yourself go, honey. And so she explodes and they let the dog out and the dog is eating the caviar out of her exploded stomach. And there's a, a of course, that, that weird, um, oops, we ran out of money cut where they yeah. can't do the explosion or they, maybe they just didn't have the stomach for it because it's they, too disturbing. I, I think don't... the explosion is actually all filmed because we see a snippet of it again and then they cut away in, from it. Like, in the, the final, I know, I know. It's like everything was filmed logically and then somebody else went in and said, no, 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 we gotta, we can't repeat footage. We're gonna steal footage and move it. And it, it doesn't work. Uh, it was a bad decision. I it's don't get it. It's kind of the same problem where we, I've noticed we've reviewed a lot of movies where there's plenty of gore, but for some reason they don't show the titties. Like what the fuck? Come on. Yeah, I was this a surprised. Dog. I'm actually surprised there weren't more titties in this movie. Yeah, I mean, there were, there were, I think, were there any? Uh, there was um, some side boob that was going on and it was really kind of like yeah, shadowed it, and it's, it's like, not, it's not it's, obvious. Yeah, this is, which is partly why I was actually surprised about the exploding stomach scene because it is gruesome and it's it more gruesome than any of the other shorts. Um, and so it was really the standout piece. And then we get um, the the you know the the texan jerk character then gets like pushed down the stairs in a wheelchair and impaled on his but you don't see that either i know you don't see that and and i and i think um and that one is clearly just a cut for ease uh (laughs) and again you're like cool and then i'm like and then we leave and the best cast is out um and not that the final cast isn't decent the final cast is actually pretty strong um so the third one 
Again, we have Snoop Dogg enter. This is weird. This is where Snoop Dogg, the animated part takes over every time the scene starts to, or the segment starts to wrap. And we have um, Snoop Dogg like drag the guy because even though he's dead, he's now alive again in the animated version because he's getting dragged to this afterlife. Um, he's pulling him by the horn that's through his throat. And, uh, and then he's like, asks half pint, like, are we all set? And there's like room for one more. And then it goes back to live action in the future. And the guys living at the place are back to living happily. And, and they have the dog. And the soup dog comes in and is like, I'm a new landlord. And then he's like, hold on. And he shoots the dog, which explodes. And then, uh, and then, which I assume is the one more. And then Half Pint vomits in their punch. And I'm like, this is so, it's not only, it's weird. And also it's, it's not funny. I don't get it. It's not funny, and also nobody reacts. Like nobody, they're yeah. just like, oh, he just threw up in the punch bowl. Why? You know, who cares? Like I'm like I'm like, oh, these guys had a tough time, but thank God most of them came out the other end. And then they're like, oh no, I'm sorry, little person vomited in their punch. Yeah, what, yeah. By the way, about? fuck you. Yeah. Also, it was. Why did the dog need to die? I felt that was really I, unnecessary. It it was. I think the intent was. I think it's another missing link, right? I think the intent was when he's like, "There's room for one more," is that the dog was complicit because the dog is literally happy all the time. And then he gets no comeuppance for eating his master and getting fed caviar. But he's a, he's a mutant chihuahua. He's one of the golf ball head chihuahuas that came to San Antonio. So it just seems gratuitously- Never mind, never mind the fact that the, the residents were totally like, you know, like- Yeah, oh, they were petting him and he was super that. happy. And now they have to, not only have they lost their, their wonderful nurse. Um, let's, I keep talking about um, her character because I think that <laughs> I think that, well, I think that Sydney Tamilia or Tamila uh, Poitier did an amazing job. And just here's this one scene from the beginning of it. Um. Then y'all gonna ask the lady the kids? Damn, where's that man? I must be losing my touch. Oh. I love that scene because that's like the best writing in the whole sh show was that because she's talking to uh, the, the other soldier who eventually dies of neglect who's wheelchair bound and because she walks in and they're all having a good time listening to the music dancing and she walks in and they're like oh hey Wanda and then she's like nobody gonna ask me to dance and the guy in the wheelchair is like oh I must be losing my touch and she grabs him and wheels him over like the only thing you've lost is your ability to run away from me which is adorable that is so cute and it sets it all up perfect for everything to go horrendously wrong I felt um, like someone really did their research because this the, I, I felt that the interactions between these characters was the best in the entire movie and I would love to have an entire movie just based off these guys like sure they're 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 grizzled vets who are completely like down on their luck they're screwed they don't really have much by the way people support your veterans because i work for the for uh state government i can tell you they don't really care about you you know so these people are truth 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 being yeah. spoken on cults and classic podcast yeah these uh, people they the um especially I, I felt like ernie hudson had some input on this because ernie hudson's insanely awesome uh, I was just talking he's about so him the other day. I didn't, I was like, please tell me he's still alive. Cause I haven't, I haven't checked on in his career in years. And I was like, Oh, thank God he's still alive. And he's jacked. Holy shit. He's jacked. Yes. 
And you know what, though? He's been jacked pretty much all the time. And he looks yes. phenomenal in this. Um, I mean, this is granted 14 years ago now, but he still looks phenomenal. And uh, Ernie Hudson, huge fan. He totally deserves – he deserves a lot more than he has. And uh, He and deserves some more Ghostbusters cameos because, God damn it, Winston rules. Sure, absolutely. Well, and, and here's the thing. I love Bill Murray. I love Dan Aykroyd. Um, I got to say, though, they really screwed him over in that. There's a whole big story on that. He had a much larger role. They cut it down, cut it down because they wanted more of other stuff. And I mean, I love the Ghostbusters. It's a phenomenal film. But to hear to hear that part of it um, being cut was sad. So, yeah, so this is the problem is, is that this is so much stronger than any of the rest of the film that it makes the rest of the film, including the next segment, look just it just looks bad. Like it looks like dog shit. Um, you should have finished with this segment um, because it's so much stronger. Um, the anti-Verotica, considering that they started off with the best segment, which was still shit, and then yeah. ended up with the worst segment, which was, um, I'm pretty sure high school students <laughs> probably would have done better. Yes, they would have done better. Uh, note, note when you coughed, you pointed at yourself for our listeners. <laughs> yeah. I 100% I, I agree. Um, this next segment is uh, the, it's actually, so this is the music segment. Um, this one is where uh, a, a young kid in uh, presumably, you know, in the hood for lack of, of, of a better term is in a church and he's telling God, he's like, I'll do anything. Just give me a chance. I'll do anything for you. I know I can do it. And a baseball crashes through a stained glass window and he takes it outside and there's a guy who's like, hey, sorry, like that's my ball. And this guy and him become friends because the guy writes beats and he's a, he wants to be a rapper. And so like they end up like having this meteoric rise, right? And uh, then we cut to him uh, and the guy, like the, guy, the, the beat master's gone and we learn that he died. But this guy who is like a Kanye, pre-Kanye's current breakdown, um, is, is like, he was my homie. This goes to him and he wins this big award. And then he's in the, like, the green room afterward with his crew and they're starting to party. And he's like, man, I miss, this is Daquan, who is the character uh, that is his dead friend. And uh, the manager then shows up and says, hey, you guys need to calm down. And he's like, fuck you, man, blah, 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 blah. He pulls a full Kanye and then everyone disappears and the door is gone and it's just him and the manager. And uh, we learn, of course, that the manager is not really the manager, although he doesn't know that. And we review flashbacks from his rise to fame on a, on a flat screen TV on the wall, right? And so basically it's a flashback story where we learn that uh, not all is as it seems and he had his friend killed because he was making a string of mistakes, including statutory rape, and his friend was not cool with it, and was like, you don't remember the music, you don't remember me, this is awful, um, and so he has him killed. Uh, well, he gets his comeuppance because his friend is brought back in as an undead, jovial character, um, and gets the guy to, to basically commit police suicide. Um, that's the story. There's, um, there's, there's more, there's more to it than that, though, I think. Um, so Aries Spears is, is, plays Quan, and he's a great comedic actor. He's from Mad TV. He's done a lot of voice work. Um, he was in the, uh, the John Leguizamo Pest. He played TP in Jerry Maguire's, probably where a lot of people recognize him from. 
but he's he's a good actor uh and he's got some great makeup um he has good makeup when he gets shot in the head it's very simple very realistic but then when he comes back as an undead character he looks pretty fantastic he's all disgusting and and very tales from the crypt demon knight you know demon head so they blew all their budget they blew all their budget well so the, the two things i think that are really like worth mentioning about this segment is that jason alexander has a cameo i if you listen to the pod you probably know by now that i am a huge jason alexander fan i mean he is he is so close to my heart this was the weirdest moment because he essentially it's when we first see like that this guy has an ego and that his friend was sort of helping him out uh is when they're talking to jason alexander who's supposed to according to the credits play a british record mogul i heard like and jason alexander is a phenomenal actor i'm telling you that right now this is not even a question but but his choice of like even the scenario is sort of like Australia, by the way. New Zealand. And yeah. Like, legit New Zealand accent. It's like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Yeah. And I'm like, and that's, which is fine. But then when he's credited as British, I'm like, did they, did anybody even try to that? This was definitely a one take scenario. <laughs> but like his friend is like, yeah, we want like all this money and blah, 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 front. And the guy, and he's like, no, we sell the record. We don't do that anymore. We'll get you the job. We'll get the record. And he's like, screw that man and leaves. And his friend is like, I'm sorry about him, blah, blah, blah. And they offer his friend a deal to go solo and say, screw it, that guy's trouble. Uh, he's brain damaged, we're not gonna take him. And we find out that Quan didn't take that opportunity. He stuck with his friend. And of course, then his friend stabs him in the back and, and eventually has him killed. And so that's, of course, the big twist. Now, uh, his, uh, we have, Diamond Dallas Page playing DDP yeah. from uh, World Wrestling Federation playing. And WC, he was more famous for WCW. Let's not miss WCW. Words. He All right, fair. real hard in WWE. Fair, fair. Um, and we've got, and, and he goes by Saad. Um, uh, in the, in, excuse me, Saad is the, the kid who's, who's had his friend killed. Um, but I don't, so... The Diamond Dallas Page, his character is named Jersey. He's the, he's the new friend of Saad uh, because he, of course, is the one that, that pretended to be a robber and, and killed Quan. And uh, he gets stabbed. This is another one of those weird cuts. He gets stabbed by the undead Quan, but we don't see it. He goes to stab him, and then again, it cuts away. Again, another fucking jump cut where they and, like, awkwardly, like, Boop, never mind. There's like, a, there's like a two second, not even two second, probably like a one second clip in the final wrap up music video where we see him with two blades in the eye sockets. And I'm like, who edited this? Like, who cut this? Because I'm like, that should have been back there because it was such a weird empty cut. Like you just, like you said, it's too abrupt. It's too weird. It doesn't make sense. Why did you do this? Why did yeah. you do this? And and it's and it's by far the weak. Well, no, it's not the weakest. It's better than the first segment. It is, um, because I loved this segment. Once the um, manager came in, yeah, because it becomes that morality tale of like, let's run you through every every reason why you're a giant asshole, and 
Especially when Quan comes in undead. Oh my god, he's fucking hilarious. Yes, he is. Especially I mean, my favorite. My oh. favorite line in this entire movie is when he's like, "By the way, I talked to God," and uh, he said, "Everyone, stop thanking him because he doesn't care." Doesn't I was like, "Ooh, that's yeah. harsh." And and you know it's all you know it's ad libbed, right? Like he's he's good at that. He's clear. Yeah. I'm glad they let him run with it because like as his friend runs out like to go get shot by police, um, he, he's like. He did. Like, that's just the last. <laughs> he did. And that was amazing. It's, it, it was great. And, uh, and it totally did. Um, it totally did come with it. And as we should mention that Lynn Shay is the, uh, uh, plays the manager. She's been in a lot of movies. She was in Dead End in 2003. She played Magda and there's something about Mary. Um, she's been in quite a few uh, horror films over the past three years. She was in the Ouija um, sequel and uh insidious series so she's she's been around um she's a great she's another one of those where you watch her walk in and you're like oh i don't know if it, if i recognize her or if i can just tell from her presence that she's a good actress um because both of those things are true you've probably seen her and she's a good actress so uh, it was nice and i actually wish they'd used her a little more she does a lot a very little bit of talking and sits down uh, and that's about it but Okay, so we've got the three segments gone. And then we get um, Snoop Dogg back in the alleyway in like a big open setting. It's sort of like an undead in the heights. Like it's just everybody's partying um, and all the people that have been killed uh, or, or you know, that have been taken to hell or whatever the case is by him in these prior segments are being tormented in uh, this like block party. Um, like demons are, are, are using uh, the exploded lady as like a chip dispenser for caviar and, uh, and <laughs> it's it and then it goes into a Snoop Dogg song it's, it's not a bad song I and mean, we should mention the soundtrack if you're into this sort of like I mean like late 90s early 2000s hip-hop you know it's okay uh, it's decent it's not I, I don't think it didn't blow me away it's no blade 2 soundtrack but like oh, it, yeah. it was it was decent. Um, we should mention to uh, Tiffany, the character whose stomach explodes, played by, I think I mentioned, but Brandy Roderick. Um, she's, she's been in plenty of other things as well as TV. And uh, we get this scene, and this is where we see the flashbacks that include new footage that we haven't seen before. Um, other things, I mean, Snoop Dogg's not like, he's not ancient, but he's not young even at this point in time. And they do a little bit of makeup on him and some of the dancers during this video where like it's sort of like a light version of the demonic vampires in the Buffy the Vampire Star TV show. But on Snoop Dogg, it's so light, like it's so faint. He just looks like he's having a bad day and didn't sleep well. Um, <laughs> like it didn't, it just didn't, it didn't fly for me. Um, and I also want to say that uh, this last segment, before I forget, is written by Jonathan McHugh, who is a uh, he, he actually is a music producer and he does a lot of film music and soundtrack. So it's interesting that he wrote that. Uh, I'm not sure that it was like, a, you know, award-winning writing, but I thought it was kind of fun that they had somebody who's in that side of the industry write the segment itself. It's kind of crappy that there was no actual um, music. Like this is a story about yeah. some dude's rise to fame and there was no actual music no actual sure. like showing him actually perform it Performing. was kind of like Agreed. i am a giant douchebag and frankly his backstory was like uh, 
back streets of California in which I sometimes haunt whenever I'm out there. It's like this this is yeah, not, yeah. Some, yes. this is not some rap the, guy's rise to fame. I'm sorry. The, I, I don't know for sure. I mean, it, you know, it could be confident during the day. I wouldn't necessarily know. But uh, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that I've had an apartment in a place worse than the church where he was. Easily. Um, so, and, uh, and that is in Southern California. So, and again, you're talking like, there are cameos from people who play themselves in this segment. Uh, Method Man and Lamar Odom uh, is in it. Lamar Odom doesn't have any lines. He literally is just like, next. Probably for the best. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, so there's, there's some interesting things to watch throughout this movie. And uh, we didn't mention it because um, he really doesn't have a big role at all, but Billy D. Williams, uh, is yeah, in oh, man. This. He plays the pastor who is housing um, Posey in the first segment. Super underutilized. I don't know why we just didn't have like, well, I know why, because they had him for a couple hours uh, because that's what they paid um, as opposed to, to some other people that they had multiple days. But um, let's, let's get right to it. Um, this is a mixed bag film. There's some great effects. There's some bad editing. There's some mediocre writing. There's some great acting. Uh, and there's some some just fun stuff that's weird, like the animated sections. I enjoyed those. Um, I thought it added something different, uh, but it certainly doesn't mesh perfectly. Um, so, Tad, who would you recommend Snoop Dogg's Hood of Horror to and why? People who uh, watched Veronica and needed something better to, to cleanse their palate. <laughs> But also, it's pretty obvious. The, this, I recommend this to people who enjoyed Tales from the Crypt and Tales from the Hood because this feels like Snoop Dogg uh, initially tried to push a pilot for a TV show and it failed. So he went, ah, fuck it. I'll just make a movie. That's a very clear padding. There's, there's a great Mystery Science Theater episode film, uh, Merlin's Shop of Mystical Wonders, where that was exactly the case. They, they had um, uh, a pilot it didn't fly so they went back and they found an old like segment of a 70s show and they crammed it in there with what they'd film um and it became an anthology and you know what it was fine it, it worked it was um, it was okay yeah and that's yeah, what, i didn't feel I, like i wasted my time with this no i would recommend this to anyone who likes those kind of 2000 era horror films that just entertain there's nothing brilliant it's not get out it doesn't have a super strong message although this one does sort of touch on a couple of key points of things like gentrification and racism but very and it, right. yes and it does it without kind of like yes smacking it's, it in your face it's kind of yeah. it's 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 it touches on it but it also doesn't ram it down your throat and some of the characters are really endearing and that really makes a great story well and and also when you said like it doesn't ram it down your throat it's it's smart right because it's not the story they're telling right uh, but at the same time they it, it is clearly um, like a, a black um, city dwellers like version of things. Like it, it didn't feel like a, a huge number of white people made this movie, although they did. Um, but it, 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 was, it was clearly they got people who, who played the roles well and it does give it a different flavor. Uh, and I recommend it to people who like that kind of thing. They just wanna see something. There's some good effects. Um, it's not boring, it's not overlong. And uh, yeah, like you said, I wasn't mad at it. So you can skip the first story and probably won't miss anything. Nope, that's true. It's just sad because it was kind of a cool. I liked the graffiti. It was. Concept. It was. It was. It was paint by numbers story. It was like ah ha ha. There's a twist. Yeah. Okay. Boring. Let's move on. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for this one. Next up is 1975's trilogy of terror whoop, 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 with Karen Black, and I can't wait to talk about this one.
Okay, so uh, those of you who aren't familiar with this film or with Karen Black has, you've heard me say Karen Black like a hundred times already this episode. It's because this is really the Karen Black show. It, Trilogy of Terror, it is an anthology of three horror stories. It has zero framing story. There's no framing device. There's no Crypt Keeper. There's no Snoop Dogg. It just, it literally starts with um, story one and then the name, uh, which is, what is the name for this one? They're all women's names. Um, I forget, but uh, I want to say Lori, we're going to, we'll come back to that, but it's, um, it's Karen Black is in all three segments and she plays different characters, pretty radically different characters in all segments. Um, we have, uh, Julie, that's the name of the first segment. That's what I thought it was. Excuse me. Julie is, um, Karen Black's character. She's a mousy um, I don't know, are they in college, I assume? Like community college or something? It's, it seems like it's college. Yeah, because it, it's, it's not, they're not high school students um, in this, and they're already way older than they should be. But Karen Black plays a teacher who's mousy, who uh, she walks by these two sleazy students, super 70s students, white guys with this raggedy hair and these like, you know, uh, a sweater vest over a button down shirt. And they're like scoping the girls and she walks by and one guy's like, you know, I wonder what she looks like under all those clothes. And the other guy's like, are you serious? And she's like, I am. And he spends the whole time trying to seduce her. And um, what happens is, is that, and we find out that like, she lives with another woman who is like, you got to go out and get more. She's like, no, no, no. And he ends up convincing her to go on a date with him to the drive-in which was super nostalgic to me because this is exactly what the drive-in was like when I was little that my parents saved me to all the time. You know, you had the clip-on speaker, you'd grab it off the hook outside your window and you'd stick it on the door. Uh, obviously these things are making a comeback now uh, that we're in the middle of a, of a pandemic. But he takes her there, he gets her a drink, he drugs the drink, she passes out. He takes her to a hotel room. Uh, he's a photography uh, student or, or fan and he takes nude pictures of her and then presumably rapes her. And it's, this is a TV movie, okay? This is an ABC TV movie. This film would not make it on prime time today. Um, not because any of the film, the shots are really, you know, over the line by any means. Uh, they're, they're tame by today's standards, but the content is, is a little dark. Um, and uh, we should mention these are all based on Richard Matheson stories. Richard Matheson, amazing screenwriter and novelist and short story writer. I mean, he's, he wrote, he wrote everything. He wrote Psycho. He wrote um, uh, I Am Legend. Uh, he wrote, uh, I can't even think, I mean, literally, there are so many things that he wrote that you would be shocked. Um, and he writes the final segment, the script for the final segment of this series. And he just, the rest are based off of his short fiction. So this one, he, he uh, rapes her, takes pictures, and then he blackmails her to start coming to his apartment and doing whatever he wants. Um, and she sobs to her roommate, but she won't say anything. She's like, I can't. Like, and he's like, you, you got to do what I want because I've got pictures. Then we have this great scene. And guys, if you don't know already, these are spoilers. Um, they're still going to be worth seeing the picture if it sounds good. But because they're based on horror short fiction, they do have a gotcha moment. Right, so if, if that's gonna bother you, stop listening now, watch the movie, then come back. But here we go, the gotcha moment is that uh, Karen Black has been in control the entire time. 
Julia has been in control. Let's listen to this. Um, it's been going on for, I don't know, a couple months at least, uh, or maybe not that long, but a long enough time. She's like in bed clothes. He's like in an unbuttoned shirt in his apartment and they both have scotch. She's given him scotch on the rocks. And uh, this is what she says. It's all over, Chad, it's over. Nothing is over until I say it is. I don't think so. You see, I'm bored. And when I'm bored, the game is over. <laughs> bored? Mm-hmm. Not terrified, not shocked. Just plain bored. Whose idea did you think this whole thing was? What are you talking about? What I am talking about, Chad, is that you are a singularly unimaginative young man. <laughs> did you really think that that dull little mind of yours could possibly have conceived any of the rather dramatic experiences we've shared? Do you remember the day you watched me walk up the steps? Since that moment, your mind has not been your own. Why do you think you suddenly had the overwhelming desire to see what I looked like under all those clothes? And then it all comes back and he's got this look of horror on his face. And of course, it ends. he has this really good physical acting in this moment because his lip starts to tremble and we don't really understand what's happening. And then he like starts to like spit up and he's like, you've drugged me. And she goes, no, Chad, I've killed you. And it's just this fantastic moment. Um, what was your take on this? Like what, cause going in, obviously watch Hood of Horror and then you move to this and it jumps right into the story. What was your expectation? This was, um, this segment I really loved because I think I actually wrote a short story in my head years ago when I was in college, very similar to this. I'm not gonna talk about the plot because maybe someday I actually wanna rewrite it and maybe this will inspire me to actually finish it. But um, I thought that's, that this segment was gonna be one of those lifetime movies or lifetime shorts where it's like, mm -hmm. oh, the dude is totally a jackass and totally taking well, advantage of someone. And it turns she out- She plays it so straight. Right. Like, you know, it's like, you're like, oh my God, yeah. this horrible monster is blackmailing this woman and is raping her. It's terrible. And then you find out like, whoa. Then it turns out this woman is an extreme sexual deviant with mind powers and that she actually needs to control men and, and like, put her own life in danger just for the, basically the sexual thrill of it. And it's, uh, it's an interesting twist that I had never seen before because I'd never seen this movie. This is the first exposure I've actually had to Karen Black outside of House of a Thousand Corpses. I knew that she was a very famous B movie horror queen. And now I see why, because God damn, she really chews it up every time she's on screen. Well, and she is, I mean, she's phenomenal. Like, so she's been acting for a million years. She passed away, as I said, in 2013, which was very sad. She was 74. Um, she's done a ton of, ton of, like you said, B movies, but also she's done some really strong stuff. She studied under Lee Strasberg. Um, she, uh, I mean, she was in, she was played Myrtle in the 70s Great Gatsby with Robert Redford. Uh, she's been in a million things. Uh, and the most, I liked in this segment because, of all three of these, if you've heard of this film, Trilogy of Terror, 
you've heard uh, that the third segment is like the standout. I was surprised at how strong as a whole this feature was, um, but this one in particular, this was a strong opening um, because I, I mean, it's, it's, always, it's always shocking when you watch something and you're like, oh, oh yeah, we're still dealing with this today, right? Like the abuse of women and the control and the, the terrible treatment. And when he says, because he blackmails, he's just like, I'm gonna go to the police. And he's like, I'm gonna tell them that you force yourself on a student. And you're just like, geez, like these, like it goes from zero to 60. It's just, it's a real scary situation. And then to have this turnaround. And I like that they didn't tell you, does she have telekinetic powers? Is it hypnosis? You don't really know, but you believe it because she sells it 100%. And that, I mean, her character is radically different at that moment. Like it is just such a 180 from the mousy crying scared to just, I'm done. I'm done. And I, I thought initially when that switch happened, I thought she I thought it was a mousy character. I love, I love getting caught off guard like that sometimes where it's mm -hmm. like, she's a mousy, like bookwormish character. And she finally like grew a spine and said, you know what? I'm sick of your shit. And it, she, it, that I'm moment like, when it becomes a revenge. Yeah. It becomes a revenge moment when she's right. like, gonna get it. Yeah. And it's not that. It's that's just, fucking masterful, right? She's now. been a mo uh, the predator the whole time. Like they're both monsters, and she's just a better one. Um, <laughs> and, and it ends with her having another student at a new place. She has a new last name. Come um, for me. The only thing that was difficult to believe in this is that no one would see that she is stunning, uh, because I, I think Karen Black is a very unique face structure. She always did, um, and she's a beauty of her time. And they kind of. <laughs> They mousied her up as much as possible. They put her in like dowdy clothes and like had her hair up because she has this, she's famous for having this wild, thick, thick hair um, for having it tied back. And then, and of course in that scene when she's changed, it's down, right? It's down, it's unkempt. They probably had sex, God knows what. Um, and like, and it's a totally different thing. But yeah, they make her, they're like, they're like her, really? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely I'm like, I'm like yeah you are the hot bombshell? for teacher yeah i'm like the bombshell yeah it's definitely it's come on nate we grew up with that trope like oh what for what, sure like katie holmes it's like uh what's the what's that fucking teen movie with the like oh she is like what she's all that where it's like all she has to do is take off the fucking glasses and she's hot like fuck you yeah she's all that it was it wasn't it wasn't uh who was it um who was it because it's not katie i don't think it's katie holmes it's not katie holmes it's uh People are, are screaming at the the radio right now. Um, yeah, that's fine. Rachel Laycook. Um, it's there we go. Is is opposite that discount? Katie Holmes. Oh, <laughs> um, interesting story. Because Freddie Prince Jr. is in that. I'm going to share this. Yep. Uh, someone shared this with me who I knew. Freddie Prince Jr. Uh, they they have a home in New England somewhere, or they did him and um, uh, Sarah Michelle Geller, and. Um, uh, I heard this from a friend, uh, and it's 100% true. I have no reason to doubt. Um, but that uh, mutual friend was working at the cable company and they had a call and they were like, Oh, they're helping him through it or whatever. And then they pulled the file up and like, I'm, are you, are you Freddie Prince Jr.? And he was like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's me, you know? And, and like, they had like the nicest chat with them for like a ridiculously long time. And then just, and there was like, thanks so much. It was like the nicest person in the world. So shout out to uh, Freddie Prince Jr. and Sarah Michelle Geller. Uh, if you're out there listening, I, that made me happy. 
Freddie Prince Jr. makes a great Jedi. And also, because you pointed it out, those of us in New England, we don't want you. Don't move here. It's really nice. Don't move here. You can keep it. Um, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, uh, and if the Lakes region in, in New Hampshire and Connecticut and, and Vermont is very beautiful. And so lots of people have homes there. Um, so you can't find them. Guaranteed. Find them. I probably well, live can. near movie stars and I'd never know it because you can't find them. You literally won't see them. Um, the, it's just, it's the way it is. That's why they have them there. Um, but yeah, so that was this segment. Um, and I thought, as I said, this was one of the strongest segments. Um, I like them all. Um, this one is followed uh, by the next segment, which is in and of itself, this one was the one that I had the hardest time with. And it's not that it's bad. It's called Millicent and Therese. Uh, and it's, it's that I, I wasn't quite sure if I was supposed to, what I was supposed to know and what I wasn't supposed to know. The, the gotcha moment on the written page, it could work very differently than it can on screen. Because the story is, is that we see Millicent, this dowdy, um, basically an even more unappealing version um, of, of, Julie. Uh, of Julie from the first story, who's, uh, she's talking about how terrible her, her sister Teresa is. She's at a party right now and, and her, their, her father is barely dead and barely cold in his grave. And, um, and a, a gentleman caller comes for Therese and she convinced, Millicent convinces him that she's a monster. She seduced their father, um, potentially killed their mother, uh, had an incestuous relationship with him and just and is just the devil and she loves the ruination of souls and he ends up believing her he doesn't believe her at all it's very realistic that he's like he's like I this you expect me to believe this I don't I'm out of here uh, she convinces him and he leaves then we get her calling a doctor and saying I'm afraid for my life Therese like went off on me because of of me breaking up her with this gentleman um, just because I said the truth and the doctor's like I thought we solved this, but okay, I'll stop by tomorrow. He comes by, who opens the door? Therese, who is also played by Karen Black um, in like an outfit, like 10 years too young for her. It's, it's not bad. It's just clearly like a 60s sex pot kind of look, like a white tank with like a, a orange mini skirt and this really heavy duty blonde wig. Um, and like, she's the sex pod. She's trying to seduce him the whole time. And she's like, we don't need you. And then like, he like finally rebuffs her and she like switches on a dime. She's like, we don't need you. Get the hell out of here. Like you're a cow like coward. Like just rips into him and then goes up and pounds on the door. It's like, he's gone. He's never coming back, you know, open this door. Then we get a cut to uh, Millicent in the room writing down like she pounded and I, I'm never coming out. And clearly, you understand at this point, because you can see that they're both Karen Black, that they are the same person. It's a split personality. Um, so, and I think we're supposed to because it's unavoidable. They're both clearly Karen Black, but it, you don't, there's no like reveal at the end because what happens is, is finally uh, Millicent's like, she's so bad, I'm going to have to kill Therese. Well, she kills Therese with voodoo, it looks like. Um, and of course, the doctor comes in to check on them and Therese is dead and he reveals, he pulls off her wig and is like, this was the most insane case of dual personality I've ever treated. And it's more of like a, 
an odd story, like a, a, a macabre story, than like a, a real terror flick. Because I don't think anybody would have been, except maybe a younger person, would have been really shocked that those aren't the same people. Um, I don't know how you felt about that, Tad, because the acting is incredible. Uh, her, her character's personality, totally out of, out of this world. As, as you probably well know, I've, I've, uh, I've had a lot of encounters with people with severe mental disorders similar to this, um, and it's not inaccurate. And it's, it's dramatized, but it's not entirely inaccurate. And frankly, it was, a, I saw the whole twist a mile away. It was not Same. a surprise. The only thing is that because both characters are paid, are <laughs> not paid, played. played by Karen Black, I thought I was like, okay, maybe this is a whole twin thing. But in reality, the moment, because let's face it, we both know literary uh, mechanisms. Yeah. The moment that we see her in the room isolated, I'm like, oh, it's inside her head. Okay, I yeah. get it, it. It's back in the 70s, it might have been more of a twist. But you yeah. know, the more literature that comes out and the more ideas are explored, the more you see the same themes and you realize it's like, it becomes obvious after a while. Because yeah, I we're, we're younger, and I think, we didn't see these movies when we were young. And I think the, and it still worked for me simply because her performance is incredible because in, in most of these movies, I mean, most of these three sections, uh, maybe not so much to the Julie, but in this and the next one, she's talking to herself. Every scene, almost every single scene is just one-sided conversation. And it just blew me away to watch again and see Karen Black as a master of the craft of acting because she's selling it 100%. Um, and so to see these two radically different characters and her expressions, and they, uh, Dan Curtis directed this film. Um, Dan Curtis went on in 96, I think, to direct a sequel. Uh, it's, it's, it's Trilogy of Terror 2. Um, I think it's worth watching. I don't think it's as strong as this one, but it's, you know, it's fun stuff. Uh, Dan Curtis is uh, probably most famous for directing like, I think 20 something episodes or 20 episodes of Dark Shadows. Um, and you can feel it in this because there's camp, but there's also this very, it's very much a Gothic piece, even though yeah. none of the pieces take place in like a Gothic castle, it feels like a hammer production or it really does. And it's, and that's one of the things I love about it. Um, and the idea that this was, um, this was a four TV movie always blows me away because of course in our generation, uh, I'm 36 right now in our generation, this is not we don't have TV movies like this. Um, our our yeah. TV movies that we grew up with were like ABC afternoon after school specials, like the right. sloppy morality play about bullshit that didn't really matter. And even those were going away by the time we were, you know what I mean? Like it was more yeah. being more funneled into the series shows, you know, like family matters having that one depressing episode, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, and it, it's, it's, stunning to see these relics and remember that like made for tv films could be really excellent films like yeah like this is a fantastic film um and i i think the the other thing that i, I wish they changed i assume this was in the original story um but when they don't modify things based on the actual appearance on screen in the script it always kind of confuses me like um they say the doctor once she's dead they say um this is so-and-so, 26 years old. And I'm like, okay, she's beautiful. She's not 26. She is a woman. She's not a young woman. She is a woman. And of course, she's 36. She's my age at the time. 
um, that this was made. So like, it, it's just, a, it didn't have to be that way. Like you didn't have to, it's one line. It didn't ruin it. It was at the end of that segment already, but why would you do that? You know, as a screenwriter, uh, fix that because Karen Black is not a child. Uh, she's a woman and it still works. She doesn't have to be a child at all. You don't even have to be uh, you don't even have to be a mid 20s. Honestly, it, you could push yeah. like late 20s and it's still a little believable, but it's 26, why? Well, yeah. to be fair, though, you know, there's a lot of people, famous people who have suffered from bipolar and 26, 27 is the magic number. Maybe that was what they yes. were going for because she exhibited a lot of bipolar tendencies along with the and uh, schizophrenia, all those things like right much and that's that's a very good point is that those do often hit in our in the the late adolescence to those 20s so it might be that who knows richard matheson himself could have said no nah, don't change that because it's not going to make sense we don't know um it didn't really ruin anything but it was a moment where i was like mm, okay everyone looks too goddamn old basically <laughs> yeah and 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 that was actually in the first in the julie segment i mean the um chad who was, you know, played by Robert Burton. He did a great job. He's a great voice. Uh, he, they don't, I'm like, are you, are you like, are you an extra grad student? Like what's happening here? Um, and maybe, but I don't think so. You know, um, you know what they say, uh, we get older and they stay the same age. That's true. Well, and I'm also, I'm always torn too, because in a scene like that, like, it's okay to cast an older uh, actor and actress to me because they're not older, but older than like a teen because you hear these stories of, um, of, of women who are 18 years old having to do these insane scenes with like a 50 year old man. Um, I don't know if anybody read, I probably brought it up, but uh, Kate Winslet did an interview recently. I think maybe it was for Vanity Fair, but don't quote me on that. Where she was talking about, she's like, yeah, there was a scene a 19 year old girl had to be like nude, have a sex in a car. And like to make her feel better, I ended up sitting in the trunk you know, just so she knew someone was there who was safe because it is kind of a crazy thing. So I have no problem with adults playing younger roles in films. In fact, uh, I mean, I don't know why we should ever have a problem with it because uh, we've been having men who are in their 60s play 30 year olds across from, you know, teen actresses. So I don't understand why you're having a problem with that. Um, That's yeah. dedication right there. Like, she, she stuffed herself in a trunk just to make someone feel better. You gotta, you yeah. gotta appreciate that. <laughs> well, for sure. And it lets you know how disturbing it really is. Right. Because oh, let's on, we all be know true. It. It's totally, totally understandable to be uncomfortable if you're, if you're nude or you have to do a scene that's uncomfortable, whatever. But I mean, uh, I think of these times when you're like, um, Oh, you mean it's just three men watching me? Like while I'm supposed to be having sex with a much older man, like this is literally my life for the next six hours. Uh, yeah, I think I'd like someone that I trust nearby, someone who knows what the situation is like. Um, so I think we can probably start shifting our, our, our behavior and, and filming a little bit. But that's beyond, that's beyond this section of Trilogy of Terror. But now we move into the most famous one. This section of Trilogy of Terror is... Um, uh, this section can go fuck itself. Okay. Jesus Christ, I... <laughs> This, this explains a lot. Like my parents, um, when I was growing up, my parents had a, I think, irrational fear of like dolls and all that. Yeah, and I grew I'm up sure. with an irrational fear of dolls. And oh, I think this all makes sense now because this thing's fucking terrifying. And I was like, nope, nope, nope. I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. So this is literally, um, I mean, this, this is where we got Chucky. Um, this is where we got Child's Play. Oh, um, God. This is, it really is an expanded 
um, more visceral version of a Twilight Zone episode. Um, yes. Um, but it is, so the plot is, it's called Amelia. Karen Black plays Amelia. She is the only character, human character in the entire film, the entire segment. Um, she's the only human voice in the entire thing. She communicates through two different phone calls. That's it. And the phone calls are unbelievably good. The one with her mother in the beginning, mind-blowing. And she actually changed this. So this is an interesting segment for a couple of reasons. One, Richard Matheson wrote the script for this himself because he said, rightfully so, that this is the only one he didn't think anybody else could just pull off. He's like, it has to be perfect. Otherwise, it's going to be stupid or not work. Uh, and yeah. he's because the plot is, is that this young woman who's moved, or we don't know how old she really is, but this woman, she's living in a, a temporary rental in the city. Um, she's a super controlling mom that is trying to get her to basically come to heal and come back home. And she's trying to spend all of her time with her. Um, she is bought, she's dating a man who is a, an anthropology teacher. And she's bought him a Zulu hunting fetish, which is this little wood carved figure. It's spooky, got these angry eyes, big teeth, this brown little figure with a spear and a gold chain around it. And she's excited because she knows he's gonna love it. And she tries to get her mom to stop laying into her about you know, needing to skip their Friday night meeting so she can go on a date because it's her boyfriend's birthday. And she tries to get out of that by, or derail the conversation by talking about this doll. And she says, it has a gold chain, which is supposed to hold the spirit to the doll and keep the spirit from possessing the doll and being able to come to life. Um, well, of course, after this troublesome call with her mom, she sets the figure down in a huff and goes to take a bath to try and prevent a migraine from coming on because of the stress. And what happens? The gold chain falls off. We then literally have a movie where Karen Black flings herself around this apartment um, being attacked by this tiny puppet masterish doll. Uh, and by the way, yes, this was a massive, massive um, inspiration for uh, Full Moon Video. In fact, Full Moon Video did a film with Karen Black called, I think, Ooga Booga or Ooga, something like that. Uh, you guys can Google it. Um, with a doll that looks suspiciously like this doll. Uh, and it's because of this. Um, and the doll doesn't speak in, in words we know. He just literally is like, meh, 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 meh. sounds like an Ewok. Yeah, he does. Um, and by all rights, this should be cheesy ridiculousness. But Karen Black terrifying sells it. And the directing is so excellent. Um, because it hits something primal. It really does. It does because it's this little thing. It's very fast. Um, the way that they use the camera to shoot from its perspective, but also the way it kind of pops up in places and like just the way like finally she shuts it out of a room and then the doorknob starts to turn and it swings in and he's hanging from the doorknob and he's got these big mouth with these big teeth um, and she, you know, she tries to drown. She, she does everything right. You, everything you see in like one of those movies, like a Chucky movie, you're like, why wouldn't you just throw a blanket on him? Or would, she does everything right. She throws a towel on it. She grabs it. She tries to drown in the bath. She breathes a sigh of relief. She tries to go to get a phone and he pops out of the bath. You know, she, um, she, she, he traps him in a suitcase. She tries to go and get uh, police to come and it, it cuts itself out with the steak knife. She steals the steak knife from it and tries to stab it. Well, it's still alive and it leaps at her and bites her. And finally, 
Finally, she traps it in the oven where the dinner she's been making is burnt and it catches fire and it seems to burn. And this is great. The scene where it happens is phenomenal because Karen Black is not trying to be beautiful. She's beautiful, but she's not trying in this scene. She leans her back against this oven, puts her, uh, her bloody foot up on the counter and just braces it and just sits there while this thing burns, trying to hold it. And it was just the best framing, the most like visceral, real moment. And she's covered in cuts, right? Like not really deep stabs, but cuts, which are just awful. <laughs> like it's just like, you know, and, and, uh, and they did a good job of having like, they had at one point they had some sort of like prosthetic fake makeup on her feet, but most of the time they just have red blood. Um, and she opens the thing and screams and we don't know what happens because we see her seemingly normal, still covered in blood or whatever, walking into the bedroom, picking up the phone and calling her mom and telling her mom to come over. And then we get the most terrifying scene that I think has ever been put in a horror film where she hangs up the phone, smiling, walks to the front door with a knife and just sits down, crouches like an animal on the floor and just spins the knife against the floor and smiles and she has these jet these sharp needle teeth like the figure and just stares at the camera that also was apparently her idea that was not in the the teeth that does not surprise me um she looked like she totally was like this was my idea yeah yes and she because she sells it i mean it oh is it is terrifying and just stares and it's like okay the hunter is now in her and she's hunting and it's this whole it makes the the conversation i guess because she rewrote the conversation at the beginning with her mom because she said it's too nice. Her mom comes across as too nice. It, it needs to be a real visceral thing. And it is, it's upsetting. Like, let's listen to this clip of just, and this is her talking to herself. There's nobody on the other end. It didn't happen that way. I, I met him after I rented the apartment. Molly, you should see what I'm getting for his birthday. It's a, a genuine Zuni fetish doll. I bought it in a curio shop on 3rd Avenue. Arthur teaches anthropology. That's why I got it for him. It's a Zuni hunting fetish. It's really interesting. There's supposed to be some Zuni hunter spirit inside of it. And um, there's a golden chain wrapped around it to keep the spirit from making the doll come to life come to life it says should the chain be removed spirit and doll will become one living well that's what it says and let it be known that her mom then in a couple lines more has clearly hung up on her um how she sells that without another voice is i'm like that is acting like it's the most and that is just the end of the conversation the beginning is the most like upsetting Anyone who's had a difficulty with a parent or a loved one or something, I'm sorry. You were just going to be like, I was having a panic attack. <laughs> it was just too much. It was too real. Um, but it sets it up so well because her character, it's just, Amelia's character is so great because she's obviously like cowed by her mother and she's frustrated by that, but she's trying to live her own life. And she is strong. She fights this thing the whole time, you know? And, and it's just, the ending is just so... Like she's got this entire, this, this part of her has bloomed. I think the original story is called Prey, if I'm not incorrect, which makes sense 
because this is a hunting fetish. It hunts, and then now it's in her, and it hunts, and it just it makes it. Now the mother's the prey. To get obvious and literal with it, it's uh, uh, it's. What was I gonna say? The um, the phone conversation is a great way to get a little bit of the exposition without yeah. doing the lame exposition uh, trope that people usually throw into their movie when they basically don't know how to write a story. This, this was masterfully done. It gets a little long. Like I felt like it just, that phone conversation dragged on a little too long and they relied on Karen Black to kind of carry it, which she did. But at some point that phone conversation probably could have been about 30 seconds shorter and would have been just as effective. That's, that's, I think that's fair um, criticism. I, I certainly didn't mind it because I was so awestruck by the acting, but it, it could get to the plot closer or quicker. Um, the, uh, and then right after that, when she's like, I will not get a headache. I will not get a headache. Like she's talking to herself and it's just, I'm like, oh my God, anyone who's lived with migraines knows this. Um, yeah. And she just clearly brought a lot of her own experience to the table. And this is when, this is those moments when all of the characters that she's played, um, essentially the four characters, right? The, the killer, Julie, in the beginning, who is almost two characters in and of herself, and then Millicent and the Teresa, the sisters in the second, and then Amelia, she makes, uh, you know, my wife is an actress, studied acting, and, and there are these choices that you make as an actor, right? Like um, just everything from facial movements to how you look at something to eye movements. She has set up individual people for every single one of these, and yet never is it ham-fisted, right? Like, um, and this isn't to tear on Johnny Depp's Jack Sparrow, but that's a case where choices <laughs> are very big right? Like they're very big. They work, but they're huge choices. The, the everything from the funky sense of, of, of you know, direction to um, the way he speaks. Uh, those are all very heavy handed and it works in that character in that context. But for these real people, when you're trying to develop a sense of, um, a sense of, of reality in stories that have these weird supernatural or unusual elements, um, these character choices are phenomenal. I think especially the Millicent's character, the dowdy sister uh, in the second act, she's pursed up. Even her eyes are a little uh, closer together, right? The glasses cause this effect. Her lips are pursed. Um, it's just a radically different vibe across the board, which had to have been, had to be incredibly difficult given that that character on paper looks a hell of a lot like the, um, her character from the first short. Like they could be, they could change outfits even, you know what I mean? The hairs are the same way. And yet in the same film, I was never, that's just that character. It doesn't, it doesn't take you out of it. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I, I think we can get to the recommendations for this one. Um, I, and I'm going to give it a, I'll go first. Uh, I would recommend Trilogy of Terror to anyone. Um, it's if you like horror i mean if you hate horror films you're not going to enjoy it especially the last bit because it is spooky um but the acting is phenomenal the script is good the three stories are different um they don't have the same arc they're not they're not focused on a moral compass like say a tales from the crypt often is or hood of horror was to a certain extent there's no it's not comeuppance these are just stories of terror um and one is a, a, a psychopathic killer, you know, who happens to be a, a, a woman who seduces young men in disturbing ways. One is about uh, 
competing personalities, one of whom wants to kill the other one. And the other one is about a, a living doll that's trying to kill someone or a spirit that's trying to invade a body. Like those are such radically different pieces. And that's what one of the things that I think makes this so effective, but also would be so difficult to do because they're not. The only theme between them is that they were stories concocted by the same person and they star Karen Black. The plots themselves have no, um, I, think, I think in the description on say IMDb for this, um, yeah, IMDb, it says that uh, the, these stories weave together. That's- they really don't. Why. They don't. They're three independent stories and it works. It felt like, I felt like I watched a movie where I got three times worth the story. Um, so I recommend this to anyone who likes film and, and is up for a horror movie because you're going to find something that you really like in this and you're also going to see where a lot of this horror cinema that we experience today came from. And who, my friend, would you recommend Trilogy of Terror in 1975 to? I would have to agree that I would, re I would recommend this to anybody, but um, I would also say that this is the breadcrumbs for people who probably didn't grow up with the Twilight Zone like we did yeah. because this episode well I should say I'm, I'm talking about the third episode of Trilogy of Terror it's the living doll from the Twilight Zone talkie Tina that episode out of more than anything scared the ever-living fuck out of me when I was a kid I'm talking yep. Tina and you better be nice to me this doll has killed people without even moving that's even scarier um, I grew up with the Twilight Zone and nothing ever scared me in my life like the Twilight Zone did because it's not even show. that Punky Rooster episode. Dude, no, 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 no. I want I, I almost talked about that during this. And <laughs> that Punky Brewster episode, I actually found it and downloaded it. The problem is the quality is so poor that it kind of takes away from it. I need yeah, to get it's a hard high. to find those. We will, I need we, will, we will tackle that one. We will leave, we will leave listeners wanting we need, that we one. We need to do that. Because, I mean, that was clearly inspired by this. Well, I, mean, I will say wow. that you brought up Twilight Zone, which is totally accurate, especially, you know, um, the Tina the doll is just classic. Um, I would almost say, though, more overall, between all three, Outer Limits, um, which anyone, probably you've heard of it, and there's been several versions, just like the Twilight Zone. But the I original- to bring it back. Yeah, the original Outer Limits are, it, it was sometimes, unlike the Twilight Zone, where Rod Serling's stories had this incredible, like, moral and social message, it really is incredible. It still stands the test of time today, uh, unbelievably. Outer Limits was sometimes content just being bizarre and unnerving. Um, yeah. They really, some, they were more interested in bringing you something that you hadn't thought about before <laughs> than, uh, than, than bringing your our sense of morality um and i feel like this is more on the ball with that um because again there's no message to take from these really i mean you could say in amelia's the final story say um don't be a fucking crazy controlling parent that's going to cause you problems your daughter could get possessed by a zulu spirit and you know wait to kill you but overall there isn't one um but I think that that's totally true. If you like that kind of story, if you're into those kind of serials, then you cannot go wrong with this anthology. This, I'm gonna hazard to say, is my favorite film anthology. Um, Creepshow is, of course, another very famous one, um, but Trilogy of Terror, I think, nails it. It doesn't do anything fancy on the edges. There's no framing story. It says, hey, watch these, boom, amazing.
it's a great um it's it it feel i feel like it borrows from the twilight zone and the fact that if you want to really scare the shit out of people you don't actually have to have a message in reality sometimes the scariest thing is the fact that there's weird shit out there and you have absolutely fucking no control over it that 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 was a lot of the message of the twilight zone episodes where basically it's like some weird shit is happening and there's nothing you can do about it. And that is way fucking yeah, scarier. You've entered the twilight zone, right? You go into <laughs> it and you didn't even know that you were going into it and now you're stuck. So um, that's, that's what, that's uh, going to wrap up this amazing episode of Colton Classic. I hope you've enjoyed our intimate fireside chat. Uh, thank you so much to Tad Mastroni for being here to play us out as always is the chud with all about evil. And uh, I am Nate Wyckoff, comedian and film critic. Check out horrornews.net for many of my reviews. Check out uh, natewyckoffcomedy.com for my comedy. And most importantly, guys, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash cult and classic podcast. Every month you get videos of our audio sessions. You can get uh, extra content, extra videos, and you can also get free things like signed collectible trading cards and zines. I always go over outro music. I need to make it longer so I can get my whole spiel out. Thank you guys so much. Join us next week. We have some super exciting things coming up for this end of the year, Colton Classic Podcast, and I can't wait to share it with you guys. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me. What's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.